Since the dawn of the New Testament, Christians have faced theological and moral threats from both within and from without the church. In its very early days, the apostles we see in the book of Acts faced teachings, false teachings concerning works righteousness or the need for circumcision in order to be saved or a perverted moral standard. Even those suffered from an overrealized eschatology. Men and women in their young 30s thought they could just retire from their jobs and await for Jesus to come again. Throughout the last 2,000 years, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has faced a plethora of false teachings. Early on, Arianism was a threat to the deity of Jesus Christ. Many of our early confessions that we read together, like the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed of 325, or the Nicene Creed of 381, were bore out of conflict and division theologically within the church. They were responses to theological errors. From the perversions of moral ethic in the Church of Rome, to the outright denial of justification by faith alone, to the more recent late 19th and early 20th century where where liberal theologians, particularly centered in Germany, began to teach that the Bible was not inerrant, that it it was fallible, there was mistakes in it, that it was left to one's own understanding, to the undermining of miracles and even the virgin birth. Even in our own days, we have witnessed the the undermining of God's word in order to search certain moral and ethical lifestyles. From cohabitation to same-sex marriage, Christians have faced a plethora of false doctrines even in our own day. When the church of Galatia was faced with false teaching, who did Paul write to? Did he write to the pastors and deacons of the church and say, hey, y'all need to straighten up what's going down on in Galatia? Rather, no, he wrote to the church in Galatia. He told the members of that church in Galatia, you, you all need to straighten out this false doctrine. It was the responsibility not only of the elders and pastors, but of the individual members gathered there in Galatia to fight and to deal with false teaching. But friends, false teaching we must recognize this morning is not merely a thing of the past. It's not merely a problem with the liberal mainline Protestant denominations. No, I I find false doctrine and false theology even within our beloved Southern Baptist Convention. Christians can be tempted in a variety of different ways and particularly for us in a materialistic, consumer-driven culture, one of the greatest and gravest threats to us has been the prosperity gospel. It has threatened us. But even more than that, as we see the moral tides transforming, as we see every day the morality around us being transformed, the book on what marriage and the family is literally being rewritten, what it means to be a human being, what it means to be male and female, totally rewritten. Brothers and sisters, it will not be surprising to you to see the church go the way of the world. For you and I, we could be so tempted to point fingers and to think that it's not a problem that you and I will face. And what I want you to see this morning is that our Lord knew that false teachers would come. He knew it because the Old Testament saints had faced it and the New Testament church 
will continue to face it. But thankfully, our Lord has not only prepared us by warning us, he has equipped us, I believe, in the Sermon on the Mount to fight against both theological and moral error in the church. That Jesus has not left his church without the tools necessary to fight against the kind of doctrinal errors which is so popular among us today. So as we think about that theme this morning, about, about false teachers, false prophets, we'll remind us of where we've been. Jesus here in, these, in this final chapter is, is concluding his sermon. Uh, he's landing the plane, if you will, and he's coming to a rightful conclusion. Uh, just like any good preacher, Jesus is calling for a decision. Anytime the gospel is shared, one must call for a response. If you don't call a sinner to respond to the gospel, then you have not shared the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ demands a response. It's, it's not merely information, the transfer of, of facts from one human being to another. Rather, when you and I are confronted with theological truth, when we are confronted with revelation about the nature of who God is, it demands a response. It demands either I believe that or I don't believe that. And in the case of Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching these early disciples how to follow him. He was teaching them about what it would look like in their lives to take up their cross and to follow him. To live that happy life, that blessed life that he began with. Well, here in these final verses, Jesus is calling for a response. He's wanting his disciples to make a decision. Do they or will they follow him? And he does this uh, in a memorable way by pairing up two different things. So last week we considered two roads or, and two gates. There's the, the wide road and the narrow road. Wh which will you choose? Uh, this week we'll consider uh, true, true prophets, true teachers, and false teachers. There's, there's either those who tell the truth or those who tell, tell lies. Next week we'll consider those which are true disciples and those which are false disciples. That, that you and I can tell which are true and which are false. And then finally we'll see which, which house are we going to build on? Which foundation? Are we going to build it on a rock or are we going to build it on the sand? In other words, are we for Jesus, with Jesus, or are we against Jesus? That, that really fundamentally is the question. Are, are we going God's way, to use uh, the language of the kind of two ways to live track? Or are you going God's way or are you living and going your way? And, uh, and friends, that's really the, the two options. There, there aren't multiple ways uh, to know and understand God and really, frankly, to rebel against God. There, there's really one way you either follow God, submit to him and his word, or, or you don't. You, you continue to go your own way. Well, friends, with that in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And this morning we're going to consider verses 15 through 20. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them, that is the false teachers, by their fruits. Jesus here teaches his disciples that Christians, that disciples of Jesus, must be discerning. That discernment is a characteristic of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we must have minds that can discern right from wrong. Informed by the scripture, empowered by the spirit, we need minds that are discerning. That can spot theological and moral error. And so we must be discerning about these matters. We must be not merely novices concerning theology or moral living, but rather we are to uh, receive, or rather we are to, to be discerning lest we see our minds and hearts are taken captive by false teachers. The, mo- the, the well-meaning, the most well-meaning Christian can be easily taken captive by false teaching. The most theologically trained pastor or theologian can be taken captive by theological error. No one is exempt from theological or moral error. And so this morning we want to equip ourselves uh, by, by not only heeding the warning of the reality of false teaching. So maybe this morning your posture is, man, pastor, are you crazy? This is not a big deal. Or perhaps your posture is, yeah, but that's like a pastor problem. Like, pastor, we pay you to worry about such matters. Or, or, we, or we appoint deacons and elders to worry. You know, we have seminaries to fight about these matters. You don't think it's a, a big deal for you. My hope this morning is not only that you see that it's a big deal, but also that you are equipped to identify and expose false teaching. So often we, we, don't, we don't name names, and, and sometimes we got to name names, like unless we just are all confused about what we're talking about. Sometimes, and I don't do it a lot, and Pastor Rod and I, we, we, we talk about this, but we don't, we don't do it a lot. We don't name names a lot about false teachers, but, but sometimes you got to name names. Sometimes you just have to sport right to say, this is, this is a false teacher. I'm, I'm just, it is what it is. Um, we pray that they would repent and trust in Jesus. But, but friends, we want to be equipped as Christians, as members, to identify and expose false teachers. Again, Jesus isn't merely writing only to these early disciples, but writing to all disciples. That you are, if you are following Jesus this morning, hear me now. If you are following Jesus this morning, a responsibility that you have is to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That, again, is not left to the professionals. It is, it, is, it is your responsibility of following Jesus to guard the truth. That's your job, just as much as it is mine. And so this morning, I want us to consider five truths about false teachers. Five truths about false teachers. First, we see in verse 15 that false teachers are coming. False teachers are coming. Secondly, false teachers disguise themselves as sheep. 
False teachers are masters at disguise. And friend, you, you don't have to be in church long enough to figure that out. Fifth, or thirdly, rather, false teachers are identifiable. Although they like to disguise themselves, you can pick them out of a crowd quite easily. They're identifiable, Jesus says, by their behavior. Fourthly, false teachers, here, here's a truth that you want to hold on to about them, false teachers will be judged, verse 19. They will be judged. There, there's a sense of assurance that we should take away from this truth. And then fifthly, false teachers must be exposed. And Jesus says you can identify them, meaning start naming names and start pointing fingers. In other words, false teachers aren't merely to be tolerated. They are to be exposed. So number one, we see in verse 15, this simple truth, and this is a truth. I, I mean, I just, I hope you, it hits you like a ton of bricks that false teachers are coming. Look at what Jesus says in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you. Beware, he says. Be aware, he says. Jesus calls his disciples to action. It's an imperative. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, just by the way, there might be one or two false prophets that come along. And uh, no, no, he says, be aware. They are on their way. That the adversary has literally emptied hell in order to oppose the message that you will preach. Jesus does not say that they might come or they might possibly someday or somewhere show up. But rather that the disciples are to look for them everywhere. Be aware, he says. Be wary of them. In other words, they were to be in a state of constant attention and alertness. They were to, to be aware that at any moment a wolf could walk into their congregations and begin to devour the saints. Notice also here what Jesus says. They are coming to you. You know, Satan likes to, to play games, but, but here's the thing. He, he is coming after God's people. He, he is coming to you. Paul, false prophets are seeking to lead people away from the truth. They will not remain outside the body, but rather will infiltrate the faithful. This is why we must take theological air and theological uh, uh, doctrinal airs rather with all seriousness, because it's not a us versus them. It's not like a world like out there in the world. There's this problem, but but it's inside the church. Later in the Olivet Discourse, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus will warn his disciples of the seriousness of false teaching. He reminds them that it is an ever present danger. He tells them that many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. In case you're confused about what the word many means, it means a lot. A lot of false prophets. A lot of people who claim that God spoke to them. A lot of people who claim that God said X and God said Y. Remember, that's what a prophet is, right? A prophet is one who comes in the name of the Lord. You should run from anyone who says, God told me to say this or do that. All right? Just have a I mean, God only said, and right here, this, oh, you just read them a passage of scripture. All right? That's all right. 
Many, he says, false prophets will lead many astray. He goes on in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 saying, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if even possible, the elect. In other words, Jesus doesn't want you to get worried you're going to lose your salvation or you're going to end up going to hell or anything like that. But rather, he wants you to be aware that this is a serious matter. That even the most faithful Christian could be lured away. Perhaps that's been your experience. You've seen those who were once Sunday school teachers or once pastors, once once seminary professors being led into theological error. John Calvin, who faced many theological doctrinal errors in his day, gives us a somber warning. Not only to the reality, but to the present threat of false teachers. He writes this, We know what a strong propensity men have to falsehood. Isn't that a, isn't that a truth? In other words, that you and I are attracted to lies. We, we like a good lie. Calvin goes on, So that they not only have a natural desire to be deceived, but that each individual appears to be ingenuous in deceiving himself. In other words, not only do we receive deception from outside our own minds, but within our own minds, because of our depraved nature, we have a desire to deceive ourselves. And Jesus here is warning us that you and I can easily be deceived. Friend, there's a lot of false doctrine out there that sounds really, really good. The prosperity gospel sounds really good. Here's the deal. You want to know a good test of whether or not you're an American is whether or not the prosperity gospel tickles your ear a little. Because, you see, the, the prosperity gospel really only fits in a Western context. Uh, it, it, it's hard... It, to communicate the 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 health and wealth prosperity gospel fits into a a country a, a a culture that thrives on being healthy and prosperous all right and that's why it imports so easily into our lives and why it is so dangerous i mean who doesn't want a lot have a lot of stuff who doesn't want to have a nice car and a nice home and a and a really cool and big 401k and sit on a beach and drink you know drinks until they die i mean who doesn't want that that's why it sounds so good who doesn't want to be told because they've been told their entire life that it's all about you and your self-esteem who doesn't want to be told that they're the center of god's universe you want to be told that because you've been told that by your parents since you were a little kid that you're the center of everyone's world because you were the center of their world and therefore you must be the center of god's world Friend, that's why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous. The point I want to make here and that Jesus is making is that false teachers are coming. They're out there. We we don't need to go find them. They're, They're here. They've came. And we want to be equipped to understand that they will disguise themselves as sheep. They will disguise themselves as sheep. Notice what Jesus says. When they come to you, 
They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. In other words, they will come disguising themselves as genuine followers of Jesus, but there's nothing genuine about them. Well, isn't this a picture here of sheep, innocent sheep, sheep that can't defend for themselves, can't protect themselves, and someone dressing up as a wolf to come in and devour the flock? It is a very uh, shocking picture, a, 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 a very marred and Jesus uses here this metaphor to point out that false prophets appear to be one thing, but in reality, they are quite something different and even dangerous. A wolf doesn't just nibble at sheep, it devours sheep. In other words, the aim and goal of a false teacher is to devour God's people, not to help God's people. This is why we can't flirt with false teaching. Why we can't just tolerate false teaching. Why we must deal with false teaching. Perhaps no more famous prophet in the Old Testament was that of Jeremiah. Every time Jeremiah went out to preach what God had told him to preach, there was a whole host. It was like Jerusalem just emptied out every prophet in town to preach a message that was contrary to the message that Jeremiah was preaching. Every time he opened his mouth to tell God's people what they were to do, another prophet would step up and say and contradict what Jeremiah was saying. How, I mean, how frustrating would that be? You're the only guy who's saying, hey, God's going to destroy this place. You might want to get ready. And everyone else in town was like, peace, peace. Everything's good. All is good. Life is great. Everyone's happy. When you knew that judgment was coming, they would declare this message of goodness and grace and mercy, all the while God had promised through the prophet Jeremiah that judgment was coming. You see, God's people have always faced theological error from within. Every one of those prophets who stood up and, and contradicted Jeremiah said, thus saith the Lord. And every one of the false prophets in the book of Acts or throughout the history of the church said, thus saith the Lord. In the book of Acts, Paul tells the, the elders and pastors in Ephesus to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. I know that after my departure, he says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. And you can just fast forward to the end of the Bible in Revelation and you can see exactly that happen. And people were drawn away, even in Paul's own day, through his, his young protege in, in Minty and in, in Timothy. The church in Ephesus was plagued by false teaching. Or as we heard earlier in Jude chapter verse 12, that these are hidden reefs at your at your love feast, they, they feast with you without fears. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the wind, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. A, just a, a vivid picture of something that appears to be life-giving, but ultimately will destroy your soul. Brothers and sisters, we must heed this warning. Not only are false teachers coming to us, but, but friend, 
Brothers, sisters, they will come disguised, as the Apostle Paul says, as angels of light. They will appear to be good and right. And this is why we must test all things and hold on to what is good. As we'll see in a moment, why you need to be in your word, not merely for your own sanctification, but so that you can defend the truth. You can defend and stand on what is true and right. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that false teachers will seem good, they will seem right, and they will appear to be right in what they say. This is why Paul warns Timothy that there will come those who will tickle the ears. On the surface, they will appear to teach what is true, but if you dig down, you will find that they are ravenous wolves seeking only to those to devour. Thirdly, we see here in this passage that though they come disguised, Jesus equips us by reminding us that false teachers are ultimately identifiable by their behavior. They can hide out for a season, but in a true church, you can find them by their behavior. Look what Jesus says. Verse 16, you, you all will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, their fruit, the fruit of their false teaching, the fruit of their false moral confusion will ultimately show up. You'll know them by their fruit. Those who cannot bear fruit should not be expected to bear fruit. Jesus here stresses in this passage the foolishness of listening to a false prophet and expecting to receive true revelation from God. Notice what he says. He asks some rhetorical questions, which obviously the answer is no. In the first question, he says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Of course, grapes and figs would have been two delicacies that those in in this region would have uh, known well and, and feasted upon. Nobody in their right mind walks up to in the midst of a vineyard and, and expects to pull some other kind of fruit or, or to find something completely different. We don't go out to the weeds in our yards and expect to find great delicacies. And Jesus says, of course we don't. So he goes on and concludes in verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. In other words, we know them by their fruit. We, we recognize them. And the fruit he's referring to here is their behavior. It would be no more foolish for us to go out and, and to find a rose bush and expect to pick like apples from it or, or some other fruit. We, we, would, we would look quite silly. Throughout the Bible, we are told and warned that, that ultimately false prophets and false teachers can be picked out of the crowd if we would just look at their behavior. So in Jeremiah, for example, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says this, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Now listen to what he says. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord and to everyone who, who stubbornly follows his own heart. You can pick a false teacher out when they begin to undermine the sufficiency of the word of God. 
You can pick a false prophet out when they begin to undermine the inerrancy of God's word, that God's word is true, that it's infallible, that it is divine revelation. When, when you can pick a false prophet out when it becomes God's word plus something else. You can fit, f- pick a false prophet out when, when, when they begin to teach more of their own teaching rather than the word of God. It's a slippery slope for preachers whenever they're preaching messages that are not directly tied to the inspired text. Even among us, we can undermine the sufficiency of Scripture when we give ourselves to our own human understanding apart from the revealed Word of God. So today, there is a lot of discussion about racial reconciliation. Which is a popular thing in our culture. But as Christians, we want to understand racial division and equality. We want to understand racial um, unity through the lens of Scripture, not through social sciences. Not that there's not something that we can't learn or be informed by. But ultimately, our last hope is not in the wisdom of man, but in the wisdom of God. And so we stand and know the scriptures. Ultimately, though, the Apostle Paul, when he warns Timothy about the coming false teachers among the church, he reminds them that he can pick them out by their behavior. Those that seek to change the, more, the morality of the Bible, the revealed truth in scripture, is, is a real easy indicator that one is undermining the Bible. When you begin to say that, oh, it's okay to live this way or to do that, and we know that it's contrary to the revealed truth in Scripture, we can begin to easily identify them as false teachers. And we've been kind of thinking about this negatively. I want to think about it positively. Because throughout this, Jesus says that every healthy tree bears good fruit. In verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So positively then, those who are identified with righteousness are worthy to be followed. In other words, I want you to ask yourself right now, those you listen to, can you commend their way of life? So, for example, when Paul in Acts 29 and 1 Timothy 3, when he's instructing the churches in the matters of those who are leading and teaching them, what does he go to? What does he stress? Well, he stresses the character of the pastor, doesn't he? In Acts chapter 19, for example, he he stresses the character, not the ability and winsomeness of the preacher. Not that every preacher is like a Charles Spurgeon, just a great orator of, of the word of God, but that he's a holy man. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the standard wasn't you know, that the guy could preach phenomenal sermons, but that the guy was faithful to his family. He loved his wife and his children well. The Apostle Paul never says that, that a great pastor is one who's a great businessman or a great CEO. Or that he had some sort of track record within the denomination of numerical growth. (laughs) Friend, that is a standard. If you think that's funny, it's not funny, sadly enough. The number one thing that Southern Baptist churches look for in pastors is, how did you grow your last church? 
In fact, the quickest way to climb the denominational ladder is to grow your church. Does does character, does his character, the character of the one you're following and listening to, exemplify Christ? Friend, this is the stress that as a congregation we want to put on pastors and leaders in our own church. It's great that he has phenomenal degrees from some of the best seminaries in the world, but but friend, is is he faithful to Jesus? Does he exemplify Christ? Uh, Pastor Rod could probably testify. I mean, I went to seminary, and there was a lot of people in seminary. I kind of wondered whether or not they should really be pastors. Um, It's it's really troubling, uh, quite frankly, because you knew how they lived, and their moral lives were very confused. They were sharp theologically, but morally they were bankrupt. Brothers and sisters, we want to uphold not merely uh, faithful doctrinal teaching, but also faithful moral living. Can I be frank with you concerning those you listen to outside of the regular preaching of God's word here? One of the trends that is quite frightening, it's been going on for a number of decades, is listening to preachers over the radio or podcast preachers or internet sermons. My question is, if Jesus says that behavior is the standard by which you can pick out a false teacher, how do you know the behavior of that radio or internet or podcast preacher? Not that there's anything wrong with listening to the, the, the radio preacher or the podcast preacher, but you need to understand that you're putting a lot of trust in those around that man than you realize. You're putting a lot of trust in those congregations that that brother serves in to ensure that he is living a life of moral excellency before Christ. J.C. Ryle, who lived in an era in the Church of England that was morally confused, helpfully writes that sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of true prophets. And that is why you you want to have pastors who live lives before their congregations. That's why your standard should always be that you know how your pastors live in their homes and in their community and among God's people. You see, This is the character of a false prophet. They love to hide out. They'll make excuses about being introverts and not wanting to be around the crowds. But all that does is breed theological and moral chaos. Brothers and sisters, one of the ways that we know a dead tree is because it has dead fruit. And so we must know and test one another based on these standards. Fourthly, very quickly, false teachers we see in this passage in verse 16 through 18 will be judged, or rather verse 19. Every tree, Jesus says, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, his argument is, listen, we know every tree by its fruit. Bad trees can't produce good fruit, and good trees can't produce bad fruit. Therefore, any tree that produces bad fruit must be bad and therefore is a false teacher. 
Jesus here offers a twofold warning to both false teachers, but also to those who listen to them. Judgment awaits those who lead God's people astray. I want to assure you of something this morning. The false prophets of our day, all right, they will be judged. You can rest assured of that. If you've ever been duped by a false teacher, and I'll just confess right now, early on in my life, I followed a very well-known false teacher uh, for, for a number of years. And, uh, and, and what he said was good, and he still preached today, like 100,000 people probably at his church this morning. And he's leading every one of them to hell. And it's the saddest thing in, in, in all the world. Uh, but here, here's what I rest assured with, is that he will be judged. That one day he's going he's gonna to answer before Jesus. And uh, it's not going to be pretty. And, uh, but, but, you know, friend, it's not only a, a comfort, but it's a warning to me. This is why James said and warned, hey, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a preacher, you, you want to you you lead God's people, just know there, there's a judgment date awaiting you, friend. And, and the standard of judgment is double what the standard is for the average believer. Um, in other words... James is like, I really wouldn't do it if I were you. Because it's really that serious. Brothers and sisters, judgment day awaits. We heard it in Jude. Jude, if you listen to Jude, Jude just kind of runs through the Old Testament. He's like, you thought that was bad? You thought Sodom and Gomorrah was bad? God just wiping out a whole city and all the rest? You thought that was really bad? Just wait for false teachers. There's like a, there's a special time on Judgment Day where the numbers of all the false teachers get called up and it's real bad. It's like, it's, it's like no, nah, we don't want to be nowhere around that. That's how serious theological error is. You think this is cute? You think God will be mocked by these churches on Frederick Road this morning preaching a gospel that is not the gospel of the Lord? You think God is mocked? You think he's up in heaven just like, this is no big deal? You think, you think that Presbyterian church right down the street who is telling people that they can live as homosexuals and go to heaven is going to be okay? You think this church on the corner here who is telling people that they don't have to believe in the sufficiency of God's word and the inerrancy of scripture and everything is going to turn out? You think God is mocked? Not at all. Do you think God is going to be mocked by so-called Southern Baptist churches who seem to have all the great things and give all the money to Annie Armstrong, but at the end of the day, they're ravenous wolves leading people astray? Not at all. God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked in your life. He will not be mocked in my life. Peter warns, he heard this message, and he says this, that false teachers' condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, there is in heaven a brewing fire that will be poured out on those who seek to lead God's people astray. There is really, really bad day awaiting those who lead God's people into error. There is comfort for you, though, believer, this morning. If you've ever been led into theological error, take comfort that that individual will be judged and to thank God that he brought you back to the truth. Thank you. Thank him for the gift of grace that he has led you to a place in your life where you can have discernment to know and to see that which is true and that which is false, which leads us to our final point. 
false teachers must be exposed. Jesus concludes in verse 20. I think not as merely a summary, but as a call to action. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. To recognize someone is to identify someone. To, to recognize, oh, I know you, is to point a finger, right? If you see someone, you recognize a friend on the street, what do you do? You acknowledge them. Yeah, there they go. To, to acknowledge or to recognize is to acknowledge. It is to call out. In the Garden of, e in the Garden of Eden, Eve was tempted by a half-truth, masquerading as a whole truth. In other words, this, the devil has been kind of about this kind of business from the beginning. Her, her relationship, because of this theological error about God's nature and her relationship, not only to God, but to her husband, Adam, was severed through this half-truth. This is further evidence that we can see and why we want to take seriously even small theological errors. Why we don't want to flirt around with them. Because the whole of humanity was unraveled by just a half-truth. Did God really say? Does God really care? Does God really know? You can know. Ultimately, we must understand that we expose theological error by knowing what the truth is. It's simple as that. Down in Washington, D.C. at the U.S. Mint, they print out money. Lots of it. And they kind of know what they're doing. But across town is the Secret Service. They have a little building down there. You, you wouldn't know it. It's not as cool as the U.S. Mint. Uh, but in that office, they work to spot counterfeit. You know how they spot those counterfeits? Because they know what the true thing looks like. I mean, because counterfeits come in all shapes and sizes. There's some really good counterfeits, and there's some really, really cheesy, bad counterfeits. Looks like, you know, you printed it at home on the Canon printer. But at the end of the day, in order to spot what is false, what is counterfeit, they had to know what's true. They had to study the original. They had to know the, the small brush marks that the artist put in, the, in that $1,000 bill that, that only the artist could do on that negative. And so it is with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that you and I can pick up and hear and discern theological error is by us spending a lifetime knowing the truth. This is what John says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or as Paul tells the church in Philippi, test everything and hold on to what is good. In other words, we want to be like the Bereans. We want to be discerning, testing what is being said to us, not through the filter of our own theological understanding, but through the filter of God's word. Brothers, if your first instinct is to open your study Bible and read the study notes and whether or not what the preacher's saying on Sunday morning is true, you're in trouble. You want to know the word of God yourself. My hope this morning is that you're like listening with discerning ears. I know Pastor Rod's hope is every time he preaches that you don't just take him because he looks like a nice guy. When we look like nice guys, but brothers and sisters, we could say wrong things. I don't mean to, but sometimes. And so you want to discern with your Bibles open. 
Friend, if you ever listen to a sermon with your Bible closed, well, here it is. I told you so. All right? If you fall down the trap of theological error, it is because you didn't have your Bible open when that preacher was preaching to you. What is the best remedy to false teaching? What is the regular study of God's Word? That's what it is. It's no simpler than that. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to take theological classes. You just need to be a part of a gospel-preaching church that commends the regular study of God's Word. You need to know your Bible's better. And if you know your Bible's better you will be able to have a discerning mind to pick up on theological errors. It'll ring in your ear as clear as day when someone says a false or half truth. What does the Bible itself testify? The Bible testifies to itself, does it not? The, the, the scriptures are a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. You thought that was just in VBS? No, no. That's like now, friend. You can't see where you're going without the Bible. You're going to fall on your face without the Word of God. God has revealed all you need to know for faith and practice, period, end of story. There's a lot more to learn in this world, but you, you need to start there with the Word of God. Friend, you will stumble into every sort of theological error apart from the regular study of God's Word. Secondly, can I commend the study of church history? I find many, many, and this isn't to undermine the sufficiency of Scripture, so don't misunderstand me here. I find a lot of the theological errors of today are old errors. Remember Solomon, he said that there's nothing new under the sun? The devil don't have, like, he's only got a couple tricks, and he plays the same ones over and over again. They all, they all kind of look the same, all right? I mean, some of what you see today in the prosperity gospel, well, well a lot of that really kind of started in the Enlightenment. A lot of this relativism that we see today was born out 500 years ago or more. And, and so a lot of these things can be picked up even in our understanding of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the point we must take away is that of discernment. We must be discerning. We must pray, Holy Spirit, give me ears of discernment. Holy Spirit, help me to listen to that wonderful radio preacher with discernment. Help me to read this book with discernment. Help me to know you with discernment. Help me to pick out theological and moral errors. Help and guard me from theological errors. What a, what a prayer to add to your prayers every, every morning or every night. Father, this morning, guard me from theological errors. Because I know they're out there. I know that false teachers are coming. I know it. Jesus told me they're coming. I know that they're going to come in sheep's clothing. They're going to they're look like good smelling preachers. And they're going to sound good. And, and, and it's going to seem right. But down inwardly, they're ravenous woods. And so, Holy Spirit, guard me from the, those wolves. Guard your church from these wolves. Guard Cadenceville Baptist Church from wolves that seek to devour your people. Holy Spirit, help me to have eyes to see, to identify through the fruit of their lives, false teachers. Holy Spirit, assure me, reassure me tonight 
That though I was led astray, or though I could be led astray, there is a judgment day awaiting false teachers. That I don't need to, to lose sleep tonight. That one day Jesus will make all things right. He will make all things knows. Every false teacher in the end will be exposed. We can rest on that, Lord, in, in, by faith, church, for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. My prayer for this church, as long as you allow there to be a gospel witness right here in this space, may this church be guarded from theological and moral error through our commitment to the regular preaching of God's word. Help us guard it. Guard our lips from pride. Guard our lips from error. Father, I pray these saints would be a bulwark standing strong on your word alone, even when this whole community is preaching peace, peace, that we would preach in love and grace the message of our Lord and Savior. For your glory and our eternal good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.